Hey, welcome into the Stinky Truth Podcast. Mark Schlereth alongside my uh, host, Mike Evans. Mike, how are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. Yep. You know, we're, we're doing the podcast, a little different look. You can watch us now, which yeah. is fantastic. And uh, how big my forehead is. It is. Like, we had a like, little inside into what goes on during a podcast. So, originally, I was sitting there, and you were sitting here, and they said, could you switch really quick? I think they were just being really kind to you because I think the light – off your forehead was like making the camera go oogie, so to speak. So oogie, yeah, oogie. I think that's a technical that's term. A technical term. I'm a TV guy, national TV guy, so you don't know about that term, oogie. And so they switched you over there, so there wasn't so much radiance coming off the forehead. Well, I can tell you're really excited about doing this because looking at your T-shirt, man, those things could cut diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is, but and I don't know if there's a medical term for this. Like, and this is, in all seriousness, my nipples are always hard. I, like, 100% of my life, I walk around with hard. To the point, I was so self-conscious as a kid, I used to tape my nipples down. Come on. Like a, like a supermodel or something? Yeah, just like, <laughs> like, like you can see. Yeah. They're Look at just, those things. Yeah, they're shining bright. <laughs> so, I used to just, I used to have this, I used to have, like, surgical tape, you know? Yeah. Just, yeah. So, my nipples wouldn't. Because they were just always like, <laughs> always. I don't know what it is. It's got to be a medical term for that. Oh, all right. Let's get into the podcast. Mm, okay. Football, football, football. Sports, sports, right, sports, right. sports, sports, sports. sports, sports. Get into more sports. So I'm sure that you're going to be running out and booking your retreat at Sky Cave Retreats in yes. Oregon. This you're is right. where Aaron Rodgers hung out for his uh, retreat in the darkness. So apparently it was about a 300-foot square room. Partially underground, mm-hmm. included a uh, bed, a bathroom, and a meditation mat. He came out of his isolation. I don't know if he saw his shadow or not. I'm more concerned about where he's going to play next. Right. Well, I am I am too. There's, there's several things about this. One, like, you know me, man. I'm walking around. I constantly, no matter, like, I'm in the grocery store. I'm walking through the airport. I'm always asking myself questions. Like, I'll tee myself up with a question, and then I'll answer the question. I'm, all, I'm sure people just look at me like, this guy is insane, right? Because I'm always like, hey, what do you think about it? <laughs> you know, I'm laughing at myself and stuff. So I'm constantly – Good one, Mark. Yeah, I'm constantly <laughs> rehearsing, I guess. Is, is, but I'm always – that. I don't know how I would react to being in a dark room. And, of course, the first thing that goes through my head about being in this dark retreat – in a room 300 square feet with just a mat and a bathroom. Like, how do you know when you're done wiping? Like, how do you have do you like slide it under the door and go, hey, could you proofread this for me? I can't see oh down here. Like, God. seriously. These are the, these, the, these are the things actually, that I, I think sh- about. I shouldn't be surprised that this that's is the, the that's first the stuff you think about. Of like, yeah. how do you know after you've taken your, your morning constitution, uh-huh. how do you know that you're clean? You don't. If it's completely dark. I, I can't Why argue do you that? think they don't make brown toilet paper? Oh, jeez. They don't do it because they want you to know when you're done. Seriously. But he did say this, and I do agree with this. Like, he referenced this when, when everybody's giving him a lot of grief about this. Like, whatever your process is, your process. But a lot of people gave him grief, and he quoted, I think it was Walt Whitman, who said, be curious, not judgmental. And, like, who am I to judge him? Dude, I mow my lawn three days a week, and I'm out there talking to myself all the time while I'm doing it, and I enjoy it. It's something that that gives me – it refreshes me. Right? It gives me 
kind of energy, and I, I like doing it. So, so what if he likes doing this? Good for him. Get it out of your system. Do whatever it is you need to do to, to get yourself ready. But what makes the most sense for you as a player? To walk away from the Green Bay Packers in a trade and go somewhere where instant success may follow you. And, you know, there's a lot of people looking at the Jets. I mean, New Orleans is possible possibility. The Raiders just seem to make the most sense to me. Um, and I guess it's just because of the relationship and the production that he has had in the past with uh, – what's the receiver's name over Devontae there? Devontae Adams. Yeah, Devontae Adams. Yeah. Um, and those two are those two are just completely connected when it comes to what they end up – you know, what they've ended up being able to do together. So – um, I just I think they're I think like that to me makes the I don't know what about you I mean well Jets fans want Aaron Rodgers and it seems like right now at least early on the Jets interest is in Derek Carr although Carr has said hey I'm in no hurry I'm a free agent I'm gonna take my time right. I'm gonna get courted but Nathaniel Hackett got hired as the offensive coordinator in with the Jets and we know here in Denver that. It, it was pretty obvious that the idea of hiring Hackett was to entice Aaron Rodgers to want to come to Denver, which came closer to happening than, than a lot of people uh, probably know. But don't don't you see the, the connection there with, with Hackett and thinking that that might be the direction the Jets sure. want to go? Sure, absolutely. And I think that's uh, – I mean, I think that's an easy conclusion to make. And, hey, based on and, – and this is all seriousness, and, and I'm a big fan of Robert Sala – I think he's done a great job there as the head coach. Um, They're building the program defensively. They were exceptional last year. They're building the program there. But there is nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing, that Nathaniel Hackett did here last year to warrant hiring him as a coordinator. Nothing. Like this offense, to call this offense putrid in Denver last year is an insult to putrid things, right? They're like, hey, man, don't put me in that category. So – now, I will say this. I don't think all that was Nathaniel Hackett's fault. I think this organization acquiesced to Russell Wilson. I think they emasculated Nathaniel Hackett. I think he had zero authority. They basically said, hey, Russ, bring your staff. Here's your office. Here's your da-da-da-da. You can do this. You can do that. You can do that. You got your own quarterback coach. You guys put game plans together out on Tuesdays. Really? Really? Like, how much authority does your coach have when you've taken it all away from, like, there's zero, uh, the dysfunction of that choice by by George Payton, the general manager of the Denver Broncos, was like that. That is epic. So you can't. I, I just don't think you can succeed at all. So I think that's probably why, like, you give Nathaniel Hackett the benefit of that. I think Nathaniel Hackett's a really smart dude, and obviously he had a great connection with Aaron Rodgers. And if that gets you Aaron Rodgers, then good. Good for you guys. Good for the Jets. Remember, isn't that where Brett Favre first went after he left the Green Bay Packers? Didn't he go to the Jets? Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Well, it, and you mentioned Russell Wilson, and this is the big big story that, that just came out, the story in The Athletic. right that did a deep dive into Wilson's first year with the Broncos and also talked about his leaving Seattle. Now, according to the report, according to the reporting, The Athletic, that Wilson, in his final days in Seattle, tried to get Pete Carroll and GM John Schneider fired. Mm -hmm. And that not only did he want him fired because he felt that those guys were holding him back, 
he had a replacement in mind, mm-hmm. Sean Payton, who at that point had just stepped down as coach of the uh, Saints. So here we go. Sean Payton's here in Denver. Russell Wilson's team denied the report, said, no, absolutely not, not trying to get Pete and, and John Schneider fired. I don't know, Mark. I, I think it was pretty common knowledge that there was a power play going on in sure. Seattle between Pete and Russ, and the popular opinion was the Seahawks chose Pete. Yeah, well, and, and I think that's exactly what happened. I mean, who do you think started the whole Let Russ Cook campaign? think that was the Seahawks? You think that was a fan base thing? You think that was the media? No, it was his people leaking it to the media. Let him cook. Like, there was obviously, there was um, – uh, there was vitriol between that coaching staff. Maybe vitriol is too strong of a word, but there was disagreement between that coaching staff and between Russell Wilson and, and, and his personal coaching staff and his, you know, his group of people. So, I mean, it, it's not like everybody just came up with that. That was their deal. And he saw the success that Sean Payton had had with Drew Brees. And I think one of the things you have to understand, this is, this is something that just drives me nuts. Like, the Denver Broncos hiring Drew Brees, or excuse me, Sean Payton. Yeah, I, I've seen this all over. Well, he coached there for 15 years. He only won one Super Bowl, and he had a Hall of Fame quarterback. Drew Brees wasn't a Hall of Fame quarterback before Sean Payton got his hands on him. And I'm not saying it's all Sean Payton, but there's an old saying that success has many fingerprints. There are fingerprints all over Sean Payton's fingerprints all over Drew Brees. And it's finding out what you do well, and I know Sean enough, and and I've had this conversation with Sean on multiple occasions. It's not just knowing what you are, but also, probably, probably more importantly, knowing what you're not. And putting you in positions to accentuate the positives and to mitigate the negatives. And for Russell Wilson, like, he may be excited about Sean being here because of the success that Sean had with a shorter quarterback in Drew Brees. But there will be a process. And here's one of the biggest takeaways from one of the meetings I had with Sean calling calling games. Just asking him about game planning. And kind of the difference between young, immature coaching staffs and older veteran coaching staffs. A young staff may see a juicy matchup. Our receiver is so much better than their second corner and this, that, and they right, and we're going to attack this, and we're going to go after it, and we're going to get it. To, you know, we're going to get four explosives on this. It's going to be awesome, right? And they're like, we just got to get it. Even though there's a matchup that potentially could damage us. Let's just call it, hey, our running back in this formation, we love this juicy matchup, but in this, our running back has to pick up an edge blitzer, and our running back isn't really capable of picking up that edge blitzer. And young coaching staffs go, yeah, but you know what? We'll survive. We just got to survive this play. And they talk to the young running back, and they go, we just got to survive this. And they may make a play early, and they may make a second play. And you know what happens? In a critical situation in the fourth quarter, they go to it one more time, and what happens? That back gets his ass kicked by a bigger, stronger linebacker, strip sack, fumble, return the other way for a touchdown, and you lose a football game. And so Sean's point to me was my first responsibility as a coach is to mitigate potential disaster. And if that means bypassing a juicy matchup, then I'm going to bypass a juicy matchup, and I'm going to mitigate that potential disaster first and foremost. And, And so going back to Russell Wilson, your first agenda with Russell is to mitigate disaster. 
And that means, dude, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. We're not going to do that. Yeah, and, and I know that Wilson's team denied the report, but it makes too much sense that if, if you already know that there was a power play going on between Pete right. and Russ and that uh, Russ has already spoken glowingly. At the end of the, this past yeah. season, he spoke glowingly about Sean Payton mm-hmm. and how much respect he had for Payton. So it makes sense. So it's, it's not a good look for Russ. But if you're a Broncos fan and you know that Russ isn't going anywhere for right, a year or two, right. doesn't this kind of give you a little bit of, of room for optimism that, hey, Russ is almost saying, I know I need to be fixed or I, need, I, I know I need to take my career in a different direction, and this is the guy I want my career in the hands of. I, mean, mm-hmm. I would think that's a, a good thing, no? No, I think, it's a, I think it's a great thing. And I think also, you know, I mean, Sean Payton is going to put up with, you know, your personal quarterback coach in the building. That, that ain't going to happen. I mean, Sean's got like he's got that gravitas, and I, and you know, I t- I've talked to you about this. I've talked about just to everybody about this, and, and I'm, I believe this to be to be very true. There's there are two types of fear, and both have to be present within your organization. There's the the biblical fear, and anybody who's ever read the Bible or has heard this, and I've had people ask me questions. Well, why should you fear the Lord? It's the fear of the Lord, right? And that fear is not like, oh, you know, like, oh, I'm going to get struck down. That fear is awesome reverence or respect is what that refers to in the Bible, right? This awesome reverence I have for this guy, this respect for what he has done, what he's accomplished. Sean Payton Payton brings that. Mike Shanahan had that. Joe Gibbs, there was nobody that had more of that kind of sense for me as a coach of this awesome respect and reverence that I had for him as a coach. Sean Payton brings that because he's done it. He's done it with Drew Brees. He's done it with Teddy Bridgewater, resurrected his career. Even Jameis Winston, the seven games he started, you know, resurrected his career, eliminated interceptions, all those kind of things. So he's done that. He's got that reverence and that respect. The other thing is just straight-up fear. If you don't do your job, he will fire you, whether you're a coach or whether you're a player. And it's not just the coach-player relationship. This is the more important part. It's the coach-to-coach relationship. Get it done, or, you know, it's the old saying, get good or get gone. And Sean Payton brings that a little bit of walking on eggshells, Mm -hmm. and that's an important aspect of any organization. If you want to have success and you're you're relying on competition and, and, you know, and execution, you better have that kind of fear present in your organization. I was doing a New Orleans game real quick this year, and somebody very high up in the organization said to me, you know the problem with our team is right now? Sean Payton walked out of the building, and the fear walked out of this building. It's a profound statement. That's big. Yes. That's big. So, Sean Payton, an established coach, taking over in Denver. Meanwhile, a couple of first-timers. Thoughts on, let's start with Shane Steichen Mm. from Philly to Indy. Yeah, I, I I think that's an interesting hire, Shane Steichen. Remember, I mean, he came in as the coordinator, but in Philadelphia, and he was really he wasn't really calling the plays. It was Nick Sirianni, and they go two and five, and all of a sudden Nick Sirianni goes, "Man, I am not paying enough attention to the football team," which takes like I have a lot of respect for Nick Sirianni for doing that. So he gave over the play calling duties to Shane Steichen. They took off. They made the playoffs this year. They went all the way to the Super Bowl. Um, I think he's done an incredible job, and I think the Indianapolis Colts are really interesting because I think they've got a much better roster than their record would tell you they have. They've got a quarterback issue like, you know, 
80% of the teams in the National Football League or 60% of the teams in the National Football League have. They've got a quarterback issue that they're going to have to solve. Now, I do believe, and I don't know where they are draft capital-wise and how the, how good they are to move up, but I do believe that the Chicago Bears are going to move down. I don't think they're trading Justin Fields. I think that's a bunch of malarkey. I think they've invested in Justin Fields. They've got a very young team, uh, and they've got a lot of good young players. So I think they're going to go down that track with Justin Fields. So I think that's I think that thing is is done. So I think it's all about draft capital moving down. So somebody's going to have a chance to move up in this draft and get themselves a quarterback, be it uh, the young kid out of Alabama or be it uh, the Bryce kid Young, yeah, C.J. Stroud. Yes, yep. So I do think that will happen. Will it be the Colts? Maybe I don't know. But they have to rectify that position. But I think offensive line-wise, I think running game-wise, I think they've got some talented, although young, receiving core. I think they've got the potential to, especially in that division, to be a player in that division like that, depending upon, of course, how their quarterback situation You mentioned Sirianni. Out. Now, when Sirianni took over in Philly, he had the infamous – introductory press conference right. where he was talking about s- s- systems and rock, I, paper, he, scissors. I did play him in rock, paper, I, scissors. I, and he whipped my ass. Well, he, he knows of so, what he speaks, right? Right. Well, a uh, tree now, a Nick Sirianni tree, Jonathan Gannon, the defensive coordinator, yeah. goes to Arizona, and immediately he goes viral. You do it better than I do. Right. So he comes up to Kyler Murray, and he sees Murray, and he basically you know, gives him the hug, and then he does what? Oh, yeah, he almost laser, but it wasn't really quite laser. No, it wasn't like, like pew, 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 shots, shots. You know, it, it was more zoop, 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 or something like that. I don't know, I don't know exactly what it was. Yeah, but is yeah. Shots, shots. Yeah, it was, a li- it was kind of a mixture of Seriani and Adam Gase. <laughs> Tommy, zoom in on the action. Ah. <laughs> Is there a bird flying? Around? Right, like what was Adam Gase doing? <laughs> yeah, like, right, right, right. Um, but I love, <laughs> I love myself some Jonathan Gannon, man. He, uh, JG, I just call him JG. JG, now. I just, okay. I just coined that right here. JG and I are buddies, man, and I have enjoyed the heck out of getting to know him the last couple of years. Um, he's been a lot of fun. Uh, there is an absolutely ass load of work to do in Arizona. I mean, first off, you've run some rinky-dink collegiate style of offense. And what, what ends up – here's what ends up tricking people, coaching staffs, owners, um, fan bases. When you collect a bunch of talent, and you do have talent, you can stay in games with that talent, even though you're really not close to winning. And you may even have a season like they did the year before where you won 10 or 11 games. Um, But eventually, that hokey, relying on broken plays to fuel your offense will fall apart. And it's exactly what happened to Cliff Kingsbury and the Arizona Cardinals. Hey, like Cliff's a good dude. Dude, get that janky, faulty-ass, red rider – what the 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 whatever that the, whatever they call that all I can't remember what they call air raid air raid air raid like get that out that has no bearing man I had I I did a game this year where I had off an offensive lineman come 
and cry on my shoulder for 20 minutes before the game even kicked off about how janky ass this offense <laughs> is and how they like they're asked to throw it 50 times a game and just protect and you know when you've got DeAndre Hopkins and you've got guys that can flat run and you've got guys that can make plays man it feels good and it sounds good and it's you know and and you got Kyler Murray who can you know, once the play breaks down, can hold the ball for 17 seconds, scramble around, and hit somebody 50 yards down the field. That sounds great. Yeah, but in fairness to Kingsbury, you did draft Kyler Murray number one overall. So if if Kyler Murray is the number one overall pick, shouldn't you give him that kind of responsibility? Give Kyler Murray? Yes. You, well, to run around and throw the ball 50 times. That's what that's what you drafted him number one overall for, right? Not if you want to win. I mean, if you yeah, if you want to look pretty, that's that's great. If you want to, you believe be- in Kyler Murray? No. Listen, man, I, I like Kyler Murray. I don't believe that Kyler Murray can. Well, let me let me let me. What I don't believe in is that style of offense, and I don't know that Kyler Murray is capable of running any other style of offense. So it's not so much that I don't believe in Kyler Murray. I don't believe in Kyler Murray in like that he can morph into a more traditional. And I'm not saying you got to be completely traditional, right? But there has to be an element of that in the NFL style of, of offense to be successful. The RPO game is here to stay. I like it. The quarterback run game is here to stay. I like it as an adjunct. To what you do, still got to play quarterback. Not as a staple. Got to still what be you able do. to play quarterback, right? Yeah. There, there's a reason. There's a reason that Lamar can't get signed in Baltimore. And I get it. I get where he's coming from, and I understand it. Like, hey, I want the Deshaun Watson fully guaranteed, two hundred thirty plus million dollar contract. And the the offer that Baltimore gave was one hundred thirty three million, totally guaranteed. It was more money than that, but the the mm-hmm. Total guarantees were 133. So you're telling me you're over $100 million off. And the smear campaign has already started. You know what the smear campaign is. Well, if we pay Lamar this kind of money, we're not going to be able to get a top flight receiver. Wait a minute. You were paying him on a rookie deal forever and you didn't get a top flight receiver. Why are you not getting a top flight receiver? Because a top flight receiver in free agency ain't coming to Baltimore to run that run first college offense. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. how many receivers do you know? How many of them are walking into the Baltimore Ravens and go, you know, my whole dream, my whole career, my dream has been to catch less footballs <laughs> and to score less touchdowns. And my whole dream is just to, to, you know, to push crack on the safety. Like I just want to run up on the corner and then go, yeah, on the safety because that's what I've been dreaming about doing. You show me yeah. one receiver that talks that way, that believes in that, like it, it'll be the first receiver in the history of divas to ever do that. So, no, I mean, they, they're not paying him because they don't believe in that style of offense being sustainable and that style of offense winning them multiple championships. That's, I mean, come on. But the smear campaign's already started. We can't, if we pay you, we can't get a big time. Re- Dude, just stop with that garbage. I know. Would you, wouldn't you think? I, I know that there are still predictions out there that they'll get a deal done, but, geez, what, what, what more do they need to see to be convinced to make 
that kind of a deal. Would if it was going to happen, wouldn't it have happened by now? You would think. I I just almost feel like he's they're going to have to move him. I mean, and I understand. I understand the thought process here is, what are we going to do? Like, what are we going to do with with what we have right now? And like, he's been hurt the last what two seasons, three seasons. Mm-hmm. He's he's had he's missed some time, and not obviously his fault, but only one playoff win. Right. You you like I I keep looking at that, going, hey man, it's really. It's really a great, like, it's great. And when he's healthy and he's running around and doing all this, and the, all the one-on-one things you get, you know, you're going to get some form of single high safety, either cover three or cover one. So you're going to get one-on-ones on the edge, right? You're you're going to get your slant, throw it complete, you know, crossing routes, boom, whatever, drug goes. You, you're going to get the one-on-ones out there. I, I understand how the game works. I understand how coverage works based on what you do as a running team, right? I get those things. But is putting your quarterback in harm's way on a consistent basis, designed counter runs and everything else, is that a sustainable form of offense that you feel like come playoff time against really good teams that that you can win a championship? And the Baltimore Ravens right now, by the way this negotiation has gone, is is they're telling you no, we don't believe that. That's what it, that's what it says to me. Maybe I, I could be wrong. I, I rarely ever am, but no, I could no, be wrong. And, and, and you remind me of that constantly. Right. So, hey, a lot of great storylines, and we're just kicking off what, what should be a, an action-packed offseason because it's the NFL, and it's, it's it always never, action. It it's, never it, sleeps. It's, always, it, it's yeah. a 365-day-a-year monster that needs to be fed. Yes, it does. And you're excited about it. I am excited about it. <laughs> and I'm excited, to be, uh, I'm excited to be doing this with you, yeah. uh, Stinky Truth Podcast. Uh, wherever you get podcasts, make sure you download it. Also, uh, Mark Schlereth at uh, the, my YouTube channel. Just I think just Mark Schlereth, I think, is where we're going to put this. But we'll see. Uh, anyhow, uh, for everybody involved in the Stinky Truth Podcast, for, uh, for Tommy and, and uh, for Sean and for Mike, I am Mark. We thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with you next week.